Hello and welcome to Country Roads Confidential. I am your host, Chris Anderson, publisher of Earsports.com, the West Virginia site on the 247sports.com network. It is Monday morning, the first Monday morning after West Virginia loss, uh, after the Mountaineers fell to Oklahoma State Saturday afternoon in Stillwater. Um, just because it's not good news doesn't mean we're not taking your questions. Sometimes these questions get even better after a loss. Uh, We'll let Mike determine that. Mike likes to declare the best one yet. We'll see if it's the best Q&A podcast yet. Uh, as I welcome Mike in. Mike, how are you? I'm good. Actually, I was told many times that Friday's preview podcast was our best one yet. I didn't even say it, but a lot of uh, positive feedback on that. And I don't know if we painted the picture, but we certainly handed everybody the paint by numbers because pretty providential especially your stuff on the the numbers and the matchups and the running game in particular um because the game swings on a 66 yard run right through the middle too and that's where we said west virginia could be should be stout was not there so good job by you yeah good job by you too i, I just think i think you're right like a lot of sometimes numbers can be misleading scott especially early in the year when you're trying to look at past seasons and apply it to the current season uh, but a lot of the stuff that was that was there was was exactly they are who we thought they were, I guess, to, to steal a phrase from uh, was that Denny Green. But and again, but it's not like West Virginia and the coaching staff didn't know that stuff. They they planned for it. They schemed for it. Again, it was just a couple mental mistakes that really just kind of did them in on on a few of those things. So um, questions across the board. All over the board. We got we were a little late on this, Mike. We I think we got uh, were were we stunned by that loss? Did that that knock us out? Because I didn't even think about putting that the thread up until late Sunday evening. So we we got a late start on our questions. I wanted to make sure everybody was lined up and set before we pulled the trigger and cost ourselves the podcast. So um, perhaps my patience and and was too deliberate for us. So. Better late than uh, ever, though, right? Yeah, I was gonna say maybe maybe it's best if we don't have questions in like the ten minutes right after the game, because uh, that that might be <laughs> that might be infringing on uh, text from game day territory with some of the content that might be coming through on that, because uh, the message board sure was fiery after the game yesterday. That's for sure. If I can promote text from game day, will be up by the time this is up. You have to go through it. There's an all time text in there um, about. It'll be obvious, I think, but there's also an extremely bizarre sequence where someone is not very happy with their father-in-law and confusing L.D. Brown and Letty Brown. <laughs> it gets oddly personal. Um, Toledo <laughs> is dragged through the mud. <laughs> it's it, it's why we do this. I have no idea where this came from, why, whoever that, I'm assuming it's, yeah, it's a guy because he's talking about, well, it could have been a woman, I guess. I'm not sure. Um, whoever it was, thank you. It was a wonderful addition to the the episode this week. Oh God! I really hope there was some some dark liquor involved in in everything that gets gets sent in on text from game day. That's that always makes it better. Quite likely this week, I promise you that. Um, let's get started. We'll, we'll yeah. start right off the bat. I'm I I don't know if I'm going to scroll right down again. We're going to answer our, <clears throat> some of these on the podcast. We'll answer the rest of them uh, in written form later in the day or Tuesday. Um, but I'm going to start right at the top uh, from Omaha Ear One. What's the answer at tackle? Do we have the answer on the roster? And have you ever seen someone get a 0.0 grade before? Uh, the last part referencing um, Bryson Mays, who, according to PFF, 
graded out, I believe it was 0.0, not not overall, but specifically in pass blocking. I'll double check that as I as I leave that question to you, Mike. That was unusual because that's usually a guy who plays like one or two or four snaps. He played uh, 19 and he got a penalty late in the game that was inconsequential. That was strange. I saw that. I don't know. But 19 snaps and not only that, but his overall grade was 28.2. Um, and again, I applied the talked about, asked about. I wonder if we asked about too much after he was talked about. Not sure, because um, he didn't look very good in that game. And, and again, not exactly limited playing time. The answer is probably the question. Um, and what I mean by that is we're talking about essentially two people on the left side, Eusebio and Yates, I'm thinking, um, unless you're going you're gonna to mess with right tackle, which I don't think Hughes was special. I don't think it was a problem. It looked like they were fine on that back side most of the time, or the front side most of the time. Um, I don't know what you do apart from just let him go. If you remember, late in camp, um, I don't know what happened, but some people saw or heard some things that were allowed in or allowed around, and I got to talk to a couple of them just for, like, I don't know, inside stuff. And ultimately, this wasn't accurate, but there was an idea that Yates could be the starter because they really felt like his potential was such that he might surpass Uzebu quickly. Now, remember, he didn't have last summer. He got here the first day of camp, his true freshman year, and he didn't have an off-season conditioning program this year because they were all gone. So physically, he's young. Um, and never mind the fact that he's a registered freshman who didn't play. It really wasn't close to the field, I don't think, last year either. So there was an idea that, wow, this guy could really blossom on the field and make it happen. Um, ultimately, Uzebu wins the job. Yates starts the first game. Uzebu starts the second game. And about two to one on the snaps in the second game with uh, Uzebu taking more. But I think what applied to Yates has to apply to Uzebu, too. They're probably going to get better on the field. Um, Uzebu was here his true freshman year while Yates was in high school. He actually had a full year and did get in some games as a redshirt freshman in 19. And still is coming along, so he grows in the field. I, I just kind of think you got to go. It is a two to one. Is it closer to one to one? I don't know. Um, the numbers say that Uzebu played a little bit better. So, actually, no, the numbers say Yates played a little bit better. Actually, a lot better. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I mean, maybe you bring it closer to even, but I don't think there's not another guard. I don't, I'm their tackle. I'm not sure there's a four tackle that you trust right now. Do you? No. And I think it, we're going to have to find this point, this breaking point for Neil Brown, because he made mention of it that same night on his radio show when he announced that Junior Azebu was going to be the starting left tackle. He said this wasn't going to be a situation where he's looking over his shoulder at the very first mistake. He was going to um, leave him out there to to grow, to learn on the job. And, but, and he didn't say this, but I'm adding it right now there comes a point where you can only learn so much before you do have to start looking over your shoulder. You, you can't, you know, you can't leave it wide open. Like it was again. I don't, I don't want to say that Uzebu was terrible. Uh, as you noted, he overall, he graded lower than Yates, but graded slightly better in pass blocking. If 27.5 is considered better. I mean, 27.5 is better than 12.7, which is what Yates had. So it's, um, Pass blocking was not not the forte of the offensive line on Saturday. We'll leave it at that. But nope. there, there's got to come a point. I'm just curious what that point is. But 
it's a good question because uh, Lord knows I, I always have something to talk about and always have thoughts on things. I'm not sure there's an answer. I, I, I didn't think there was before the season. I thought that's why they, I knew that's why they, they were pushing so hard for a grad transfer. That's why they wanted Keldrick Wilson, the guy who ended up committing to Pitt. That's why they wanted uh, Chris Blake, the Florida transfer who ended up being hurt and they, they passed on because they didn't think he'd be eligible or healthy for the season. So they beat the bushes on the graduate transfer market for a reason. You know, you, you don't do you don't do that for giggles. You don't go checking for starting left tackles on the transfer market if you don't need a starting left tackle. So I, I'm I'm curious to see where Neil Brown draws the line of and, and which way he goes because Gates played, like you said, not an insignificant amount, almost 30 snaps, almost a third of the game. So he was out there. A lot of passing situations, too. I think he took 30 pass snaps, which is, again, when you're talking, or no, 19 pass snaps, and you're talking 30, 26 snaps, that's a lot, too. I'm looking at the line here. There isn't another tackle. Uh, Tariq Stewart is probably a guard, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Scott, it was inside. Hubbard is interesting, but he's probably a guard. Uh, Beaver was a guard. And then you're you're getting into walk-on territory with, you know, Nick Malone, maybe. I'm not, I don't mean to disparage Nick Malone. Parker Moore is a guard. You really don't have one. So it's essentially those three, unless the kid from Bluefield who hasn't participated in the first two games. <laughs> Actually, I won't go there. <laughs> but, yeah, what they have is what they have right now. Those three have to get better. And I really wonder about spelling uh, Hughes right now because I think he played good or okay. The numbers don't say that he played very well, and he played – every snap no he played 65 snaps and then um i mean i guess we're gonna say that the utility knife is gonna be maze and he's gonna play a little bit of everything but probably specialize in that right side moving on to the next one from huh do you have some nope. else okay. all you all right uh is ali jennings still hurt uh no one has said anything but didn't play he did travel uh did not play um, and then we got questions on what's the deal with Cowan? Is he hurt again? Why did Sam Brown not get a single snap? And is Zach Frazier a starter going forward? That's, that's, I didn't realize I was about to ask four straight questions, but um, all important well, though, all important. Jennings was he, he Jennings, had himself yeah. yeah he had himself crutching around on Instagram, and no one ever asked about it, and I don't think it's ever been brought up. They they just don't disclose injuries unless they get brought up, and even though they're kind of squirrely about it, um, I guarantee you that. Somebody could ask about Brown or Tay Mayo, who didn't travel, or Cowan, who was obviously hurt, or Jennings, who was today on the Big 12 conference call. And Brown is going to say, we'll talk about that on Tuesday. That's just the way he does things. Um, so Jennings was hurt. You don't travel if you're hurt. You just don't. Which makes me think that Mayo and perhaps Brown were both or are still hurt because they didn't travel. They needed Mayo. Um at, at, to just be an extra defensive back there. Did they lose because of him? No, but that's an extra body and the guy that, um, again, they moved him from corner because they thought they were good at corner, and they put him at safety because they needed help at safety. They only played basically 2.1 corners. I think Jackie Matthews played one snap, yeah. and Daryl Porter didn't play. So that means they're not quite where they thought they were, at least in Stillwater at, at cornerback, and then obviously they, they lacked a free safety there, which, again, wasn't a part of it, but they could have used him, I'm sure. So Jennings, you don't travel if you're hurt. Uh, Callen, I've not heard good things. You've not heard good things. Um, and boy, they're going to miss Bryce Brand if he's not eligible. If they whiffed on that one and he's not eligible, um, you're down to, I guess, Bartlett. And 
I don't know. You're probably going to have to speed up Torres Simmons, maybe Yeti Watkins. Uh, and Sam Brown, I don't know. I would have to assume that Sam Brown has an explanation. You don't start the season opener over Sam James and don't even travel on the next one. I forgot to ask. I kind of get picky sometimes about asking questions about why didn't this guy play or whatever. That's a valid one. You can't start him one game and talk him up about how good he is, the best ever, according to Jared Parker. I'm paraphrasing. but And then he doesn't even get a hat on the next game. That doesn't make sense. And Frazier's a great question. I don't know. We, they have to have a conversation about their interior. Is is a better? Is the quality of their five better with Frazier at center and Barron at right guard or with Barron at center and Mike Brown at right guard? Um, Mike Brown played a lot. I didn't think he played 77 snaps. He played 77 snaps. Um, second only to Daigie, and his grades were, were mediocre. Everybody was mediocre during that game, so I'm not sure he stood out like quite the sort of thumb we thought. I, I don't think I have anything to add on the Jennings or Brown front. Uh, on Cowan, you know, he, he got hurt, went to the sideline. My my eyes there in Stillwater told me that he was up and going through some, like, jogging, some running on the sideline, working with the trainers. And, you know, when they said running and jogging, I said, oh, that might be good, and I gave an update on the board. About midnight, Saturday night, I got a text that said, um, don't take jogging as a good sign. Uh, he said, and this was the second set of eyes there and so on. They told me that the drills, or not the drills, but the things that they were putting him through, the trainers were putting him through, were all the tests that just reeked of an ACL. And that was the same ACL, that was the same knee they had again. Um, they, he was supposed to be getting examined, get an MRI, everything, uh, Sunday night. I haven't heard anything from any of my sources since then. So I don't know what the answer is to that. But then of course, everybody had, uh, or anybody that had followed him on Twitter saw Cowan Sunday night, uh, you know, right about the time that I was told he was getting his MRI. And he says, man, I can never catch a break. Now we've oh. learned in the past. We do not. <laughs> these are college kids. I don't know if everybody remembers what it was like in college and everything that was important in your life in high school. People try to read the tea leaves on Twitter. So let's try not to go too far down that that rabbit hole because, uh, you know, you see somebody tweet something and it's, oh, you're going to decommit or, oh, you're hurt. And it's like, no, just some girl or, or school. So let's try not to dive too deep on the uh, the Twitter feed. But um, hopefully we'll get an update on that in the next couple of days. As for Frazier... I'm I'm thinking out loud here of a ripple effect moving outward because they mentioned it and we saw it on Saturday of Chase Barrett playing some guard. Is it possible? I'm trying to think of who because I'm not sure who, which way you would go. You know, I'm talking Frazier in the middle, which pushes Barron out the guard, which pushes a guard that you trust, committer or Brown, out to tackle. I mean, I, I know I'm getting where, hey, you don't want to disrupt the O-line, and I'm sitting here talking about basically disrupting at least three, maybe four, or even five of the five spots on the O-line. <laughs> but what are you better off with uh, Frazier at center, you know, Mike Brown at right guard, or Mike Brown at right tackle, Barron at right guard, Mike Brown at right tackle, and Gamitter at left guard, and Hughes at left tackle. I, I don't. I don't. I'm just thinking out loud. I, I don't know. 
I think it requires that type of thinking. Even if you don't change stuff, I think you have to think through that lens where everything is on the table because it's it's very early. And again, I just I, I just want to build a wall between the first two games because I think that that Eastern Kentucky game was largely irrelevant. I mean, a lot of fools gold there, and we saw that on Saturday. Um, so, I guess my question then would be like, is well, is is Frazier a guard? I mean, he played about a, I don't know, I want to say maybe 10 to 12 snaps. I don't have the numbers in front of me at left guard. He's not going to start in front of Barron, but could he play right? Um, and again, the magic the magic guy here is is is, um, is Brown. Played a lot. Did he play well? I don't know. And that's the guy they've moved around, and, and you know he's lost his pocket injury, and then he's moved position. So I think that he's maybe the, the, the guy who has the arrow over his head right now who's just got to be better. They all have to be better. I get that. But I think you're talking about replaceable parts. You're not going to mess with the center too much. Committer's locked in. I don't. I mean, could Committer play tackle? Is he big enough? I don't know. Um, has he been great at left guard right now? I, I'm not sure about that either. So again, I think everybody's got to go and get better. And then the only way you do this is you rep the same guys over and over and over, and you make it work. And man, changing things around. You know, at the start of Big Twelve play, it's very different this year than in past years. It's a hard thing to do, but it just seems to me that that center guard with Barron and Frazier is a puzzle and it may be that Frazier's your sixth person and he moves around and he can play guard or center and Barron can move around and play guard or center. I actually thought Barron came back and played pretty well in that game after a, a rocky start with some snaps. Um, that's what's curious to me. And then I just, I don't want to harp on this too, but Frazier is going to wear down a little bit as the season goes along and you want to put that off as long as you can. It's just true. It happens for any true freshman probably more so on the offensive line because it's just such a grind. And he's, I don't want to say pitch count is the right word, but there's some sort of a scale and it's going to get to a point where he's running out of gas at some point and you want to put that up as long as you can. You want to give him breaks as long as you can. Um, good thing here, you play Baylor, likely play Baylor and you're off. So you can probably stretch him out a little bit and then he gets a week off and maybe you don't work him so much as practice. The part of that that doesn't make sense though he might be a guy who has to practice a lot during an open week because you may have him with a new or elevated assignment. I think, again, I was thinking out loud of what to do on the offensive line, but the one thing I can say for a certainty is I believe that Zach Frazier is one of your five best linemen right now. Mm. And that's, that's the problem is when you have your five best linemen and all five might be centering guard. I think is is when you start <laughs> running into these issues of, of what to do and and you have to get creative like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, we got kind of a double two two guys touched on this. Um, first, uh, I'll read both of them, but this one from Country Boy forty seven thirteen. What's up with the tight end? Uh, SJJ SWVU four followed up with what's what is your take on the tight ends? It seems all we've heard going back to the end of the Dana area, Dana era, but more so now with Neil Brown that tight ends were going to be a part of the offense. So far, we've seen little to no production in a year plus. Is it a talent issue, matchups, or is there something in the water in Morgantown that doesn't allow tight ends to be productive pass catchers? Well, this is a Neil Brown thing now, too. Uh, people get very intoxicated by Jason Morrow. Jason Morrow was uh, a different cat, and it was really good in that offense, but he just popped up and was just a matchup problem there, and he does not appear on every college football roster. They don't have that. They just don't. Um, so let's not get too carried away there too. Am I wrong to think that TJ Banks played well? I, w I thought according to pro football focus, um, you know, Banks was not good, but I thought they were fine. I thought O'Loughlin and Banks were, were fine, which is 
exactly what I mean. It's fine. But I I don't know what everybody's expecting here. Maybe a target. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe have There's him one. on the field. Maybe have him on the field in the red zone. I don't know. Like if you can't it just I I uh, I have to I have to check myself on these things sometimes because I don't know it all. And sometimes I talk myself into it, but I just, I just thought their red zone behavior is very bizarre. And the personnel was at times, not what I expected, but if you're trying to run it in there, you want to have your big guys that can do it. I get that, but boy, that's a time to, to do something that's kind of fishy with a tight end or with just something that's different and kind of, kind of a surprise because like, what are you looking at when you study West Virginia in the red zone? You're looking at what they did against you last year, which is within that four or five game range that coaches will go back to. So we talked about this before. West Virginia played Oklahoma State in the 11th game last year, the second game this year. And again, you're going to look at four or five games to see how a team behaves in certain spots. It's different now because of, you know, your first game. And again, you can chalk up almost nothing to the Eastern Kentucky game. So what are you studying? You're going to look at some weird stuff they did against Eastern Kentucky. Maybe get ready for that. And then you revert to the stuff that they know and they've guarded before. And they did really well in the red zone um, defensively against West Virginia. Um, again, I don't think they had a target. I'm not sure how many routes they ran. I do think that they were in the block sometimes, not only in the run, but maybe to, to protect. Or just to add a number there up front and maybe cool off some ideas that Oklahoma State might have had by pressure. Decoy seems like a strong word. Not sure it's inaccurate based on what we saw. But don't forget, those guys didn't play in the first game. Um, I'm not sure how how much they were part of the game planning going forward as to be involved in the past because they were they were intent on throwing outside and then using the, the the ability to stretch the field, you know, not only sideline to sideline, but from goal line to goal line with their outside receivers. They were intent on doing that with passes and also doing that to open up some of those crossers and some of that mesh stuff in the middle, which did work um, as, as bad as Daggy was throwing outside and throwing deep, literally did not complete a pass outside the hashes. He was excellent in the middle, so some of it did work, but it didn't work in involving the tight ends. Curious to me. I'm not sure that one of these guys is going to be a 40-catch guy. I'm not sure that either one of them combined will catch 40 passes this year, but sooner or later, you got to make him account for that guy in the, in the passing game, right? You, you do have to add that at some point to your repertoire. You have to add extra because we saw, especially in this game, as you mentioned, the outside of the hashes and the deep ball – it wasn't there because they were able to shut down that side of the that part of the passing game. And if they shut down that part of the passing game and you're just not even going to try the tight ends, that really leaves so very few options. You know, it's just the slot guys and anything over the middle. And that's about it. That That's all they have to worry about. So if you don't have the tight ends, you're really kind of limiting what you're going to do on offense. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, yes, they absolutely need to try to get other people involved they need to get the tight end involved some way to to expand that just for the reasons i just mentioned but there also seems to be this misconception that um you know and this is nothing this is not a knock on michael laughlin i mean the the guy came in as as a redshirt freshman after being injured his entire first year and took a starting job like just just wrestled it away a starting job but it, it wasn't like he was some big receiving threat last year he caught six passes all season long. I think his best game was like two catches or three catches for 14 yards or something. So um, there, <clears throat> I think just because he's a returning starter and, and had gotten that job so early in his college career, some people are, are expecting him to be this 
30, 40 catch guy that that's going to be a threat over the middle. And it's just not, I don't think that's going to happen yet. I'm not sure this will place in it for it in the offense either. We saw, and Saturday just wasn't, we saw a lot of five wide, which, you know, had a running back out. And that was, that was pure window dressing. That was just to move a guy out of the box for the middle, which worked. And you took a guy out who had to chase Liddy Brown outside. So that worked, but saw a lot of just, you know, 10 personnel, empty backfield stuff. And when the tight ends were in, it was, it was pretty obvious what they were going to do. I think, you know, it was going to be split zone. It was going to be an outside zone or something along those lines. Um, Oklahoma State had a good idea on that stuff. But I, I do think that both those tight ends had moments in the blocking game. Banks started. Mm-hmm. Box score says O'Loughlin, it was Banks who started. I thought he moved people around and did some good things. I think maybe he got a little tired. But O'Loughlin did fine there, too. Um, if that's what you're going to have him be, you know, that, that sixth offensive lineman who can maybe surprise you at certain points, that's it. But are we going to see O'Loughlin in the slot? Over who? Not Winston Wright, and probably not T.J. Simmons or Reese Smith right now, too. So, And this offense isn't good enough to go fast, where you play 10 personnel, and you run the ball on one play, and you get 21 yards, and then you hurry up to the next snap, and you put O'Loughlin out in the slot. They're not going to play that fast. Tempo doesn't seem to be something that they want to do or they can do right now. So some of those ideas that sound really cool about having tight ends, oh, let's put them in the backfield. You know, let's put him in the attachment of the line or put him in an H-back spot. Let's run hurry up and move him slot, line, slot, line. It's not in the cards of this offense. Right now, maybe not this year either. Let's flip to the other side of the ball. This is mm-hmm. this is a good – I like this question. I don't, I don't know if you will because it's going to put you on the spot, maybe put me on the spot, but I'd like to ask it as well. This is from Damn Proud. Did the defense resemble more of a drop eight – Castile defense or an attacking blitzing coning defense? Neither. I guess we can call this a Leslie defense. It's probably more of a Shane Illingworth defense. Um, I, I really had to watch this twice and, and go back and look at some key spots. Oklahoma State didn't give their defense a chance. It just didn't. Took it, took it out of the game. You and I talked about this. People listening talked about this or read about this or thought about this. Oklahoma State's offensive line was a question mark. The quarterback situation, even if Spencer Sanders played, was going to be iffy. What do you do? You use your really stout defensive line. You use your Bartlett and your Cowan, maybe Tyke Smith on, on occasion, and you pressure. You send four, five, six. Trouble with that, though, is that they were not going to let Illingworth improvise stand in the pocket and tap the ball. They wanted to get the ball out of his hands fast. They wanted to do some RPO stuff that would really put those guys who who read it and react into, into conflict. And you saw times they did RPO, and it brought Cowan or Bartlett in, and it brought Tony Fields in, and it opened up that space that they vacated. That was about the longest that the quarterback held onto the ball. It was a lot of quick stuff, you know, in the pistol, in the shotgun, get it, read once, and go. And when he held onto it is when he put the ball in peril. The interception, he, he tapped that ball three or four times because he was trying to make something happen. The first read wasn't there. Not a runner. So he sat back and tried to dial up something himself. But I would say by and large, you know, they're credited with nine blitzes and the quarterback was five for nine. That's nine out of what, 27 dropbacks, we said. So a third of the time they, they blitzed him. Uh, he was under pressure a good bit when he had – to make some decisions on his own, but typically it was get the ball out, wing it to the side, get the ball out. Hey, I'm going to go to the right because that's what we do. And 
running the ball twice as often as you pass it is mm-hmm. a good idea. And then making making your quarterback just avoid trouble. And hey, you're you're allowed to throw it. You're allowed to make decisions, but do it fast, do it fast. And he did. And I think even the times that West Virginia did pressure, it, it, it just didn't work because they were about even with offensive linemen by the time the ball was coming out. You do that over and over and over, it's going to be hard to affect the game late into that late third, early fourth quarter. And when did Oklahoma State really make hay? That six, seven-minute drive where run the ball, run the ball, and when they had to make pass plays, it didn't work. I'm sure Jalen Thornton disagrees with that statement, <laughs> at least on two occasions on one play that turned out to be a, a massive play. But, you know, initially I thought that West Virginia didn't do enough to to flex its strength, to use that defensive line. I think you have to wonder a little bit, maybe you have to reassess exactly how good the defensive line is of being chaotic. It's good. It, it may not be this world beater that we imagined. Um, and you have to wonder, hey, if Cowan can't play again this year or sometime soon, how are they going to generate pressure? You're getting into a situation like last year. Um, but going back and I watch it, I, I think that they were smart. The defense avoided some bad situations. They obviously have concerns about cornerback right now. They protected him a lot. And by protecting him sometimes, I think you just don't send everybody and you try to give him as much cover as you can. Yeah, I think that was the biggest the biggest difference I saw from last year's defense to the, to what we saw today. Again, in in Sample size is important to note here. One game uh, in reality, because I'm again, like you noted, we're not counting Eastern Kentucky here for the sake of what this team really and truly is. But I think we saw a lot more blitzing uh, and putting cornerbacks on an island. And again, how much is that is the the coach's philosophy, whether that's Leslie or Adai or Koning. And how much of it is last year you had Keith Washington and Hakeem Bailey, both of whom are currently signed to contracts with NFL teams. And now you have Nick Troy Fortune and Drayshawn Miller, who may end up being great, but have, what, uh, 50 snaps coming into the year or uh, like 100 snaps for um, Fortune and zero for Miller coming into the year. Mm-hmm. So. I know that was a big thing. Was oh my god, they're not they're not blitzing. Where's the blitzing? I noticed it too, but I think I think it had more to do with that than anything. I would have personally liked to have seen more blitzes, but ew, blitz what? Because right. when you blitz, you're trying to get to the quarterback when he's dropping back to make a throw. If they're making quick throws, your blitzes aren't going to matter much. They're really not, and. Um, Oklahoma State attempted two passes over 20 yards, two over 20 yards. Uh, they only attempted a handful over 10 yards. Uh, it was all short hits. It was all to the right, just like you said. I hadn't noticed that during the game, but holy cow. Uh, they did not attempt a single pass more than five yards down the field to the left side of the, to the, left side of the field yesterday or on Saturday. That's, that's not what they do. And again, they, they, they threw two deep passes. One was the first play of the game, which almost hit. And then another one was, was that the, the long play to Wallace late in the game? No, the one to Wallace was on the right side, but it was, uh, it went for more than 20, but I think he caught it like 12 or 15 yards down the field. So not many, but again, one off the bat and then one much later in the game, obviously. So just not a lot of what they do. And again, took it to, to throw those deep passes. You have to hold on the ball. You got to give them time to run, you know, some amount of yardage where it's going to be able to run under a 20 yard pass and, just two of them. So again, the ball was largely out of his hand fast and uh, they were, they were smart about it. So they just didn't let West Virginia be as strong as they wanted to. I think it's a really good question though. Um, just philosophically for the coaches, be it Brown or, or Jordan Leslie, did you do enough 
uh, was it discouraging? You couldn't do more, or is it what you wanted? And let's let's not forget, they only lost by fourteen, and it, and I say only because it was a seven point game where you know they could have affected that last drive one or the other, one way or the other, and gotten off the field and gotten the ball back. But uh, it's not like their plan didn't work. Again, it's not it's not a fourteen point game. It is, but it's not a fourteen point game, and it's not like the <clears> defensive <throat> game plan hurt them. I just wonder if it helped them enough. Yeah, I think my stance on this is to be determined is is the answer yeah. to my question. Because, uh, again, one game with green cornerbacks against an offense that's not even going to give you an opportunity to get to the quarterback because they're going to try to – they're going to run it so much and they're going to try to quick passes. So to be determined on whether, what kind of defense we're going to see from West Virginia this year in reality. Mm-hmm. Um I was only going to ask one more on here, and then I was going to handle the rest uh, in written form. Uh, was there any particular one I had? I was going to handle do, 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 the last one for kind of a big picture question. Um, but if there were any others on here that you wanted to discuss, anything? I have a general one, but let me let me hear what your last question is, because I might not step on your toes. Did the result from Austin's ear, Austin, Texas ear? Did the result on Saturday change anything about your predictions for the season? No, I didn't have them beating Oklahoma State. I didn't have Oklahoma State being um, as vulnerable at quarterback and on the offensive line. But I knew I really did think their defense was the best in the Big 12. It probably is. And I just thought that they were going to be better than West Virginia in the second game of the season. Play this game, even with full-strength offensive line and full-strength quarterback for Oklahoma State, play this in week, or let's say game nine instead of game two. So the second to last game instead of the second game. I, it could be different. West Virginia could be advanced. Oklahoma State's already advanced. They're, they're a mature team that's organized, a lot of talent back. They know what they're doing. Um, I, I just thought that they were better. I also think that some of the questions you have about the team, you you understand now. And this is where, like, that first game is deceiving. You're thinking, oh, my gosh, these three freshmen can play. They can help. Didn't happen. Um, oh, my gosh, there's some depth. Nah, there's not. I mean, you're looking at the concentration and the snaps, especially on defense. That's concerning. Because, again, it's a shorter season. I get that. You don't have to worry about 12 games. So you're going to be able to take about, I don't know, 100, 120 mm-hmm. snaps off a guy's shoulder pads because you're not playing two extra games. But they're still going to add up because everybody says that there wasn't enough runway in the preseason to prepare to the condition to be where you have to be to play a full season. So it's probably even that regard. And I wondered, you know, could they run the ball the offensive line? Their, their yards per carry is deceiving because of – um some negative yardage plays by the quarterback and team losses and stuff like that. Letty Brown looks like he's okay. I'm better about that. And I think the offensive line can get better. I just didn't think it was going to be there this year or this early in the year. And I just naturally had concerns about could they, could they actually have confidence in their back end to unleash the front six, mm-hmm. seven? Um, not yet. So again, I'm going week by week on this stuff. And I think if you play it later in the season, it may be different. But right now, it's pretty much on par. I had them one and one. And, you know, I don't think their youth is there to help. They're missing those four depth chart guys waiting on transfer waivers. Going 0 for 4 there is a hit because some of those guys are going to play and help. Um, and I just kind of think that right now they're kind of reverting to stuff that they knew and did last year that they probably rehearsed a lot. Uh, you don't see a lot of new stuff, a lot of additional stuff. And I think it's too early to expect the offense to be better and dynamic unless they're just really good at it. And one game, yeah, pretty dynamic. Second game, pretty average. Yeah, I think big picture, no, not really. I, again, I had them losing this game as well. I it, There are a couple things that seem a little different, but some good, some bad. Like I, 
I am a little bit concerned about Nagy's deep ball, about his ability to throw deep, because I thought he was that was something he would be able to do. Um, so far, he is not. I think Letty Brown and and Alex Singfield have done, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, better than I expect. Not not better than I expected, but but lived up to what I'd hoped for, what what they could be, because they're very talented backs and they can make guys miss. And they weren't doing it last year. This year they are. On the other side of the ball, I was hoping for a little more pressure from the defensive line because I think, you know, my my steaming cold take of this is the best defensive line since 2010 is not looking too good so far. I mean, it, 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 they've been fine, but I'm not looking for fine from these guys. These guys, I'm looking for, you know, the best since 2010. But the thing that the biggest positive that stood out to me uh, in the game on Saturday was the tackling. Because we have seen so many teams yeah. have, have trouble tackling. And we, what was it, Navy, where the coach said, oh, we didn't have any contact. We were so bad at tackling. It was terrible. And I was concerned about that. And they went up against an All-American running back, uh, a running back who could probably be all-conference if he transferred, and one of the best wide receivers out there. And I think you could probably count the missed tackles on one hand. And I'm, I'm not even sure you could fill that whole hand. It was a very solid job tackling. I was going to ask you about where you stand on Daigie. I'm imagining you're going to address that. And I think that, that there is some one-off stuff in that game that you don't really apply to his body of work, but there's stuff from that game that does match with the body of work so far. And, and I'm, I'm concerned on some stuff. I love the fact that he's in the middle of the field and the line is very accurate, but I see the talent they have outside. And I think that's gotta be better. Uh, I'll ask you this. Um, I, let's just say the Cowan isn't playing Saturday. That seems safe. Um, they're down to right now. Just Bartlett at, at Spear. Or excuse me, Bandit. Um, you probably have to give thought to Dylan Tonkery. I would think. He played Bandit last year. It looks like Fields is situated at Mike. So maybe that's not too bad. You got to find a way to get pressure on this stuff. And I'm just, this is an idea here. And I, I watch him play and I think he's capable of it. He's big enough. He's fast enough. And he doesn't miss tackles. Is there a way to involve Tyke Smith in the pass pressure? Mm-hmm. I would hope so. He, he flies and he tackles. He doesn't miss. He takes really good angles. He's smart. Um, I, I wonder in certain packages that they can do it. He looked like he was good in coverage. He, he just looks like a really sound, smart, fast football player. Maybe that's not like something you want your spear to do a whole lot, but it just seems like a guy you can do a lot of stuff with. You can yeah. bend the rules and you can have some fun, especially if you kind of have to have some ingenuity to make up for what you might lack in another position. Yeah, I love that idea. I mean, he's he's fast, he's quick, he's instinctive, he loves contact. That's like everything you want in a guy that, that's just trying to get in the backfield and, and make plays. So I think he's somebody that could absolutely do that. Send this one to Leslie, comma, J. <laughs> Pushkar, center... No need Stamp. to no need to credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although if that happens, we'll probably take credit. Yeah. It's okay to do that sometimes. Um, I think that's gonna wrap it up for us right here on this QA. Again, uh, if you didn't hear your question and uh, answered on the podcast, I'll answer them in written form either later today or on Tuesday. Uh, Mike, you got anything coming up this week? 
going to do some uh, screen shares about what I don't know, but there's a couple plays that are obviously significant to the outcome and uh, get Neil Brown today and then tomorrow and look ahead to Baylor. Baylor, do you see any Baylor, Kansas? Uh, no, I, I not yet. I'm going to, but I did not bother myself with watching that game, no. Kansas is Kansas. They tried it with a quarterback that no one had seen before, and they got a drive early on and scored a touchdown. They had some juice and then just reverted to Kansas. Baylor's defense looks pretty pretty starchy. Um, I might need you to screen share my, my plays from flag football over the weekend. I got my a uh, last-second spot start as the head coach on Sunday and offensive coordinator, and we scored on every drive, Mike. Touchdown, every drive. So uh, I'm going to add that to the resume if anybody's looking for a, a new coach. Um, unfortunately, I was also still the defensive coordinator, and we also gave up a touchdown on every single drive. So uh, not great, but we're getting better. So that's always good. Um, I'm going to have – we got a couple things up. I can't wait to read this text from game day. I'm actually going to hang up this here in a second and go read it and – I'm going to have a Mountaineers Most Wanted up on Tuesday because West Virginia got to commit on Sunday night. Uh, every time they get a commit, I reevaluate the board, um, make some predictions for next. That uh, Justin Johnson, a very talented player, just a strange, strange situation because he visited in January. When he came back in March, I had pegged him as somebody, one of three players that would commit. The other two did, Will Crowder and Wyatt Millam. And then you wrote Johnson, the story that he was going to commit, right? Yeah. And then he just went silent for seven yeah. months. Uh, nothing, not a, not a peep. And then was just said he was announced on his birthday and there you go. Mountaineers got another good one. Uh, that, that's a two very, very good running backs in this class. So, uh, and this class continues to get better and better. A great time for WV recruiting. So we'll have that up on Tuesday, I believe, and maybe Wednesday. So it doesn't get lost in all the uh, team availability that we have nowadays. Oh, jokes. I get you. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, for now, that's going to wrap it up. Um, is this the best one yet, Mike? Best Q&A yet? Best late Q&A yet? The best one that we kind of improvised, yeah, certainly. We'll, right, we'll get well, better. We'll get better. Uh, everybody, I appreciate you listening. We'll be back later this week with a preview for Baylor. I am Chris Anderson. I'm Mike Casaza. I'm also unbeaten in flag football coaching. <laughs> Thanks for listening.